Good morning again. We're back with the Safe Toddles podcast. I'm Dr. Grace Ambrose-Zakin with my co-host, Kelvin Crosby. Hey, 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 everybody. It's so good to see you, even though I can't see you. It's another good day in the neighborhood, and it's exciting to, we have a special guest today. So, Grace, why don't you introduce us to our guests, and uh, let's see where we land today. I'm- very happy to do that. Today we have Michael Byington. He's a certified orientation mobility specialist, and he's here to talk to us today about him, himself. And Michael, how are you doing today? So far, so good. <laughs> well, as you know, you were invited here not only because of your expertise in O&M, which I do want you to bring in at any point you feel absolutely effective. And um, also, we've been talking this month to people who are living with blindness and visual impairment. So then to start us off, if you could just tell us a little bit about you, uh, where you grew up uh, when you became visually impaired. Okay. Uh, My uh, birth, my visual impairment is a uh, birth defect. I had uh, con- congenital cataracts and quite a number of other uh, deformations and malformations of the eyes. I was born in 1954. I'm 66 years old. And so back in the 1950s, uh, they really couldn't do the congenital cataract surgery with the skill that they do now. And I ended up with a lot of scar tissue. Uh, in terms of where that put my acuity as a a person who is legally blind, I'm right at the top end of legal blindness. Uh, my mother was almost totally blind. She had just a little bit of vision. Uh, she also had congenital cataracts. She was born back in the 1920s, so needless to say, she had even more issues with it than uh, I did. And uh, she had become a professional journalist and uh, worked for a major newspaper and did all kinds of stuff with her life. Wasn't just consistently employed in those fields, but uh, uh, did a lot of things over her 83 years. So I had a good role model to work with. My father met her when they were at the School for the Blind for the first time. But my father had a condition which in about 1% of all cases improves with puberty, and so he functioned as an adult as pretty much a sighted person, even though he had been considered visually impaired as a child. And I have, I count myself very lucky to have been raised by those kind of folks. Uh, I went to public school all the way. My mom had gone through the School for the Blind all the way, and while I'm a big supporter of consumer choice and the right to attend a uh, residential school for the blind. And I believe in the technical assistance that they provide to me as a comms in the field and so on. Why mom wanted me in regular public school and was one of the early advocates to make that happen. I'm, as I said, on the cusp. I am in very limited areas, a uh, bioptic driver. I still hire drivers for going to most of the school districts that I serve because they're further away than I can consider a familiar area, and I'm restricted to familiar areas. But I do drive myself some places and have used a bioptic for about 45 years. I was one of the first people in the uh, Midwest, anyway, to become a bioptic driver. I've been driving with a visual impairment for 45 years. 
I was required by my mother to do my own advocacy on that. So I learned at an early age. She basically said, if you want to drive, uh, you figure out how to get this done. And oh, she was supportive, but uh, that was pretty cool. I, I remember at 16, sitting down at the typewriter and writing to the state director of motor vehicles. And I sent him about a uh, four page letter, single space typed, explaining exactly how I was doing everything and so on. And uh, uh, by the time I was 18, I had managed to wrangle, a, or 17, I had managed to, rank, to wrangle an invitation to his office. And the final test was to stand at his office window and look out the window and tell him what I could see, which probably has nothing to do with driving, but he thought it was a good test. Good. <laughs> so, uh, do, do you have a Tesla then? Because uh, that would uh, be, be the next up-and-coming up driving, right? Like, actually, I do have an electric car. It's not running oh. right now. I bought it in 2008, and I bought it because we were going through the controversies about whether electric cars uh, should make noise in order to be uh, accessible to blind pedestrians. And I mm -hmm. wanted to get into the middle of that. So I bought a small city speed electric vehicle, kind of like a glorified golf cart called a Zen. And at that time, uh, General Motors and Ford were telling Congress that it would uh, take at least five to $10,000 to make an electric car sound like a car so blind people could hear it. And I didn't think that really made a lot of sense. So I designed a sound making device for my little electric car that I had a technician help me install. And I created a device for $328 that made my electric car make noise. I drove it around town. It being a city speed electric vehicle, it has a top speed of 33 miles an hour. So that was not a road <laughs> car. But uh, I drove it around town until the batteries wore out. And it's now in mothballs until I can afford to get new batteries and have enough purpose to do that. I, I really enjoyed going to Washington on one of the American Council of the Blind junkets and testifying uh, before a congressional committee about how I had built my sound making device for my electric car. And of course we passed that legislation, but then the Trump administration right. wouldn't allow the administrative regulations to go through to implement it. So that was uh, that's still a work in progress and it's pretty frustrating because right now we've got roughly 10 million electric cars already on the road most of which don't make noise zero sound right. so dangerous for every pedestrian but i'm curious as to um what did it sound like your well, sound making device uh i had ray campbell who was another big advocate in that area he's uh I think the current uh, second vice president of the American Council of the Blind came in for one of our conventions, and he described it as sounding like a uh, a small car driving through white noise. And that is because the way I kept my cost down is what I basically did is had a closed a CD player, and I had to experiment with the placement of the, the speakers, but I have a speaker... Uh, mounted just inside the grill at the front and one right off the right fender of the car. And the disc plays in a repeating circle. And the disc that I'm using was one I purchased that was supposed to help babies go to sleep. And it are, it sounds of a Buick driving through a rainstorm. 
So that's where the white so you really did try around. to get it to sound like a car, and it did. It, and it that's, was that was what you were looking for. Yeah, that's so important. I can't stress enough to introduce a new sound doesn't make much sense because of the awareness of a vehicle is based on our understanding of identifying a vehicle sound and to try to train people to listen and respond in the same way with the same respect for a new sound is it's pretty tall order. Uh, it sounds just um, like we could just do it. I, I understand people like quiet, but it's not a safe well, I mean, that's the thing is, is, I mean, I've been hit by a car three times in my life. Oh, wow. So, and two of them were quiet cars and I could not hear them. And grant, I'm also deaf. So that doesn't help either. But, but that's where the whole battle, I mean, that's why I'm creating the see me king. So that way you can see me from 50 yards away. So that way, if you are driving a quiet car that you can see it. But at the same time, though, we have a responsibility as blind people to be able to use what we have. To be able to travel safely, and but that and I think that's what is so powerful by making noise with a car, and I think that that's where what we, we like continuing the advocacy and continue that push for noise making cars is a very important thing, because uh, that allows us to have the the confidence and build the, the the other senses that we need to be able to cross that street cross safely, and that's where. For me, I'm trying to do everything that, to allow people who can see to uh, be able to keep us safe. But at the same time, as a blind individual, we ha we have to be able to use our tools. If the tools are not there that, that we used to use and they're taken away from us, then how are we put to cross that street safely? And that's where I think what we're doing, the advocacy and what we need to do in changing the legislation to mandate that all cars need to have some form of sound that sounds like a motor. We've actually passed that legislation. The problem is the, uh, the Trump administration largely blocked its implementation. Right, because they just didn't want regulations on businesses and just exactly. blank it without considering any of the <laughs> rational reason for these quite consciously important, conscious, important, that's the wrong word. But I also want to know then, you, if you say you're at the upper range of 2200, is that what you mean, legal blindness? Yes. Uh-huh. So you have a measurable acuity. And do you have any recollections uh, then or now of certain mobility situations, uh, dark in the, of course, we all struggle when the lights are off, but uh, compared to uh, sighted, you know, moving about, uh, feeling of unsafety, um, things, collisions, things that you'd rather not have happen, but because oh, of yes. your vision it, it, It's definitely happened, but uh, I think that the one thing I might want to, to use as an example was almost an opposite situation. I have a pretty significant uh, issue with some back pain sometimes, and that was created when I was in college because I was working an all-night helpline, one of these things, you know, for people who are strung out on drugs or whatever to call in the middle yeah. of the night and have somebody talk them down. There were a couple of other old hippies sleeping in another part of this uh, old house, which they were calling the University for Man Building. 
they were trying to do some remodeling in there and they left a note by the uh, phone office oh. that said, uh, would you come through, would you please go around and bang on the window and wake us up in the morning before you leave? We got classes and we, we want to be sure we're up. <laughs> well, I knew the electricity was out in the rest of the house and that most of the windows were boarded up, but I thought they were just saying that because they didn't think I could make it through the uh, house in total darkness to, 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 to get to them. And I thought, well, I've had some blindness training. I can do this. I'm going to walk through the house instead. What they didn't say in their notes was the stairway that I oh. needed to go down to get to them was gone. Oh, So uh, I, uh, I, I landed uh, after falling eight feet from uh, oh. right outside their bedroom door. And that was a situation of overconfidence in my skills without understanding that those skills don't work unless you got the right instrument with you. Well, lack of information, exactly. I think, was probably the overriding factor that they might have mentioned. <laughs> By the way, there's a huge hole. Yeah, the stairs are missing, right? Right. That's kind of essential. Oh, my goodness. So you think if you had normal vision that you would have been able to see the hole? I don't know. I'm curious. I think if I had normal vision, I might not have been able to see the hole. Right. I don't think I would have ever tried the trip. It was an overconfidence because I had had. I would have followed the directions, you think. Without okay. understanding what I needed to do uh, uh, to make that life effective. It's hard to say because I'm kind of boneheaded. I'd say, oh, well, I could just go down the stairs. <laughs> I don't know why they're saying I, that. I, I can see that, Grace. I can totally <laughs> see you going. Ah! <laughs> yep. That would have been me, too. That would have been me. So it's, um, it's an interesting thing because I just read an article that they said, uh, actually, if you have a measurable acuity between 2,500 and 2,800, they see a real difference in capacity of young children that with measurable acuities, they don't seem to have the same delays that we associate with a, someone who's visually impaired, but you can't measure an acuity right. or blind. Right. And that you can learn to use that, those images to effectively get about, uh, I'm imagining you ran at a normal pace, walked with a normal gait. I mean, we hate to use the word normal, but you know what I mean. Well, you know, there are a lot of different theories on that, Grace. And I don't think I could say with a normal pace. Uh, my okay. first degree, before I went back to school at the age of 55 to become a comms, uh, a certified orientation and mobility specialist, uh, my first degree was in drama therapy. That was a new program being started at Kansas State University. And a lot of the acting teachers and so on were freaked out about the idea that this legally blind person was wanting to take acting courses. And they opined, because of my legal blindness, I led with a different part of my body than most people do and that it made it harder to teach me to effectively affect other walks and gates uh, because my gait was kind of abnormal in the first place. Got and, it. You know, it wasn't a real obvious thing, but it really got me interested in body mechanics and uh, 
studying the impact of various disabilities, uh, particularly visual disabilities on them. And that's part of what eventually led me to go back to comm school. Besides the fact that I was running out of other things that people wanted to hire me to do uh, and, and get my comms at, at the age of 55. Of course, I couldn't have gone to school when I was in the uh, first graduate school that I attended because way back in the late 1970s, they weren't letting uh, legally black people in comm school. Right. A real right. mistake and a real missed opportunity right. and truly, right. and right. you know, right. shows hopefully right. how far we've come. I mean, I certainly right. can't right. convince a lot of people with right. visual impairment to also do the O&M. Uh, right. They'll often come for the VRT, uh, but I definitely try and right. we get a few takers. Um, right. You know, we don't know all the answers. I'll be the first to say, I don't know all the answers. I know that when we ask the questions, then solutions find us. And, you know, that's where it lies in individualizing how you come at things. I've seen so many videos to return back to that th thought about the motor skill of young children. The left foot kind of leads the way the, the, the weight is sort of back the shoulders may be a little bit twisted. And so some variation of that with the kind of the hands and O&M and all of our textbooks have named these things. They say, oh, that's lumbar lordosis and dorsal kyphosis and wide base gate. And at three years old, they're cruising and, um, you know, for balance. And then they really try to put a pretty spin on what is actually quite should be quite distressing to the parent to say that your child has is, is experiencing something that is having them react which what i would call now a fearful gate let's come up with a solution let's figure out how we can let them be less afraid and let them walk with more purpose and compunction and you know that's been i think my biggest now you know yes not letting blind people into the profession i think is a is a bad stain but this one with the kids just overlooking generations after generation of children with obvious outward visible signs of motor, gait, pace, everything not appropriate and saying, oh, it's because they can't see. It's all their fault. It's their parents' fault for get, getting them to move. I'm like, what? How, how, do, how come we did that? I don't know. Well, I'm going to tell a story on my wife, whom I know you've already interviewed, but I don't know if she told this one uh, my wife is congenitally totally blind. She was RLF and very premature for the age she was born. She has absolutely no, and, and I'm going to show the, uh, the fact that although I read all of those names for things, I really can't remember them uh, 10 <laughs> years in as a, as a comms uh, about uh, those names that they tag those different uh, motor issues with. But she doesn't have any of the blindisms with the rocking or the, uh, uh, overly wide center of gravity and uh, all those sort of things. And uh, I asked my mother-in-law one time, I said, you know, you've got a high school education. Uh, her aunt's dad was a farmer and uh, had an eighth grade education. I said, how the hell did you figure out how to keep all of those physical anomalies that often come with congenital blindness from developing when you had absolutely no background and no consultation with this. Good question. And her answer was, well, we had the good luck of having all of our kids bing, 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 right in a row. So she had a bunch of brothers and sisters her age 
who absolutely were not going to tolerate their blind sister looking different than they did. She said, I didn't have to do that. My kids taught her. Yeah. Those things. Well, she also admitted, though, that she I was afraid. And, may, you know, one of the answers could also be that she limited herself. Well, and, that, that may be. You know, it, it, in some right. ways. And she did attribute quite a lot to having wonderful brothers and sisters and, um, you know, with this real interest in, you know, keeping her a part of the things. Well, and it is, primary, it is. She's a primary example of somebody that uh, your safe title, Kane, I believe, could have made a huge difference uh, from that perspective. It's an interesting conundrum because the one thing that I, I know we have to wrap up, but the one thing that I think I would always like to continue to be on record of is I find people remarkable and young people especially remarkable and people who are blind, just the fact that you can't see is not, you know, there's nothing like you should, there should be no shame associated with not being able to avoid a wall, right? And so then when we say, well, if you can echolocate, you could hear a step and not fall down it, to, that's to attribute something that I think is just a, not a fair attribution to say, well, you have to be like a bat, Like, I just want them, I just want us to say, listen, they're little kids. They shouldn't have to be so worried about if they're going to hit a wall or not. They can't see it. Let's fix that. They'll take it from there. And everything I've learned about the capacity of blind babies, I've learned from them and how they're going to use the tool they've taught me. I didn't even know what questions to ask. I didn't even know what would need to be, how it was going to happen. And thankfully, I didn't have to because... The toddlers, the preschoolers have shown me, shown us all the way that they just need a little bit of information and they take it from there. And it's, so it's a beautiful thing. And I agree with you. I think I wish it would have happened sooner just as a simple, simple solution to not wanting to run into walls, to having information that you just can't see. Like if you're paralyzed, you need wheels, right? You need something to get, you know, that equal access. I kind of want to wrap us up today. Michael, I'm so thankful for your time. That you, um, if you want to get a hold of us, e- email us at info at safetotals.org. If you want to follow us on social media, we're on all social media platforms, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and or anywhere else. Yeah, And then if you want to subscribe and help keep kids safe, go to safetotals.org and subscribe and be a part of that process and helping toddlers be safe so we want to wrap this up and say thank you for the time you've given us today and we're looking forward to seeing you next week you guys have a good one thanks michael so much and have a wonderful rest of your day certainly thank you very much i get to go read an iep now to figure out what to do <laughs> <with> you. <laughs> joy so oh, hey my. hey michael can i send you a simi cane I'm sorry. Can I send you my Simi cane? So Would it's you a, like to try it 